0: Hello, everybody. This is Two Guys Five Movies. This is one of your co-hosts, Chris Gasper. This is Frank Pelican. Tonight's episode is episode ninety-three: the top five films of nineteen eighty. Uh, Frank, uh, how you feeling about the list tonight? I like this list a lot.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, I really enjoyed watching all five of these movies again, and I think this is um, an interesting period in, especially like American film. Um, just because there's, well, not just American film, but film in general, because you're kind of moving into like the conspicuous consumption excess that like we know about the 1980s, but there still is that element of like the roguish, like outsider nature of 1970s filmmaking. So it's just a wide, wide blend of stuff. Um, a lot of personal, like gritty dramas, a lot of. Um, Horror movies and science fiction movies around this time. And uh, a lot of stuff I really enjoy. Definitely a lot of stuff that uh, takes chances that you would not see within like three or four years of, you know, in terms of like films coming out. Sure. Like stuff definitely is, I, I think especially maybe as a, um, a function of Reagan being president and there being more of a push towards like the, um, the moral majority. Um, religious, religious right mindset, um, where people were less willing to risk, um, you know, like public censure or controversy. So they kind of right. You know,
0: well, yeah, sure. Especially when... they see a lot of nudity
1: throughout the '80s in movies. Um, it's a lot less, you know, it's a lot more like family-friendly and blockbuster and appealing fair as opposed to. You know, for every Wall Street or whatever fucking broadcast
0: news or whatever, you know, there's a bunch of.
1: Well, you only see
0: you only see you only see tits in the adult movies, though. I mean, really, I mean, it's... yeah,
1: PG movies still had boobs in the '80s. What did I watch the other day that had bosoms in it that I was surprised? I can't remember. I watched something that was definitely rated PG, and I saw it as a child. And I was like, "Oh my god, where did these boobs come from?" Hmm. I wish I could remember what it was. It really yeah. it caught me off guard. Yeah, honestly it was um still pretty commonplace until like the mid nineties to see nudity in PG thirteen pretty pretty regular. I yeah. remember seeing Doc Doc Hollywood in what is that, 92, 91, ninety two? Ninety Yeah, somewhere around there. That's in the I theater
0: can't... and
1: being surprised at the um, the female nudity in that and that's P G thirteen.
0: Yeah. I think Billy Madison, I think, had some brief nudity in it. It's PG thirteen. That's ninety what three or ninety four. Ninety four, I think. Um Yeah, I don't know. I don't remember like, you know, things that are oh actually no, did, Howard the Duck was PG thirteen, right? It had it had yeah. tension in it. Yeah. 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 A lot of stuff if you really go back and Yeah, when I think about yeah. it. Yeah. Hmm.
1: You don't really think about it at the time because it was so prevalent everywhere <laughs> in right, yeah. you you and I as kids like like, I was watching everything from so oh, yeah. early. Right. So yeah,
0: same here. My mom. To me, like... In Steve 1980, was... when I was seven years old, she was allowing me... I had a special note in the Movie King computer that, every like, everybody that was new there was always incredulous about me running rated-R movies, and I used to have to tell them, look in their notes, like, in the old, like, 80s computer system they had. <clears throat> right. green, green text on, like, black screen, like... Computer systems, uh, yeah. right, right. <clears throat> I um, I, I, yeah. This is one. I, I've seen two of these movies before. Three of them I had not seen. Um, it's interesting. So, um, but I, I always like these lists because a lot of times I haven't seen the movies on them. Um, so I yeah. always get really excited, like, especially if you're making them like the best of a year. I always get like excited to like watch these movies because. This um,
1: was a really, really tough year too, because I mean a lot of stuff we had already talked about, which kind of to me always disqualifies it. So if like a purely top five movies of this year might be a little would look a little different, maybe just because sure. of that. But um, you know when I go by things that, and I think that all five of these movies are deserving. Well, four of the five, the one is questionable, but it's there for specific reasons. Okay. Sure. Um. But yeah, there's like a ton of good
0: shit from this year. Well, um, I'm, I'm assuming the Shining would have been on this list if we had not already talked about it before, right?
1: Yeah, Shining probably number one if yeah. we hadn't talked about it. Yeah. Um, there's also Mad Max, which I didn't put on just because, me, that's better suited to a different list, I think. Right. I still kind of hold out hope that we'll do a first watch with um, Bledsoe someday. Right. Mad Um, Yeah, you know, like I, you know, how I feel about that movie. Yeah, I've talked about it so many times on the podcast, right? Um,
0: And each time I say we'll have that conversation sometime, right?
1: (laughs) Um, The Changeling we've talked about, and you know, that's a pretty great movie. Mm -hmm.
0: Um, Episode number one, if anybody wants to go back and listen. Yeah, yeah, Elephant
1: Man's another one that we've talked about before in the Lynch episodes, episode two, right? yep um that's another one that would have been pretty high on the list empire strikes back is another one that would have been high on the list
0: i do not want to answer that is but yeah yeah it's there there's other stuff
1: too that i this really like, um, uh like that aren't like good movies that are like personal favorites of mine like flash gordon came out in 1980 mm-hmm. um and i love that movie even though it's like objectively not a great movie um Hagen show was 1980, and we've talked about that before, so you can't talk about that again.
0: Yeah, that's episode number um, five, I believe, which is the door Um, episode. I was in that episode. Yeah. Yep.
1: yep. But yeah, just um, pretty uh, pretty great year for um for film.
0: Private Benjamin.
1: I don't. I I like Private Benjamin. Okay.
0: It's <laughs> I, said, I was trying to. I was trying to pick one that um. Your mom loves that movie. My is that, is that true? Then you know that, or is that was this yeah. just a random insult?
1: No, I don't know where your mom and I were talking about Private Benjamin one time, but, um, it came up and she was talking about how much she really enjoys that movie. I can't remember why. That's really weird. Uh, my one of my favorite um, Robert Altman movies is 1980, but it's another one that I just kind of feel weird putting on a list. in um, Popeye, mm-hmm. like I freaking love Popeye. It's 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 one of those strange movies where I watched it as a really small kid. I think because my parents thought because it was Popeye that I would enjoy it, and not that it's like an adult movie, really, but it's definitely not a movie for children. Right. Um, but I, 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 love that movie. Like I love that movie when I was friggin', I don't know, like five years old. So.
0: So I do want to ask you about a couple of things, just because I don't think we'll ever talk about them, just because of how you personally feel about them. Um, so. Raging Bull is like an Oscar winning movie from this year. Like, how do you feel about Raging Bull?
1: I think Raging Bull is one of those movies that's like Apocalypse Now for me, or maybe Raging Bull is a better like better analogy to maybe Deer Hunter for me. Mm. And one of those movies that people love that were adults during that time that I saw right. when I was like kind of a kid, and just they didn't do anything for me. Like, look, I think friggin' De Niro was amazing in Raging Bull, and I mm-hmm. understand the influence and the import of Raging Bull, but mm-hmm. it's just not my mood. It's, it's Like, if I'm going to watch a Scorsese movie, it's not going to be that, you know what I mean? Right. And probably not that, like, five times over. So, I don't know. I get it, and I, it's weird to not have it on this list, and it probably should be on this list, you know, if this list is being purely, like, objective of the best movies of this year, but it's not one of my favorite movies, so. Right. Uh,
0: the other movie I would want to bring up to you uh is Coal Miner's Daughter.
1: Yeah, I'm, not, I'm just kind of impartial to that movie. Like, again, like, I get it. Like, the performances and everything, and I, it's it's been 30, uh, not 30, probably, like, in the neighborhood of 25 years since I've seen Coal Miner's Daughter, or maybe more than that maybe close to 30 at this point. Um so I probably don't have a good frame of reference for it, but it's not like something where I've ever wanted to go back and just I don't know. I like, had a co- to, to I, me. Yeah. I, I equate Coal Miner's daughter with something like Kramer versus Kramer
2: mm-hmm.
1: where I understand that they're important good movies, but like they just represent nothing that I care about.
0: So yeah. Yeah, I I feel similarly, but I think Coal Miner's Daughter I feel better about than something like Kramer versus Kramer. But um I only I only, you- only asked that because do you remember my old coworker Robert? That yeah. I- uh-huh. About all the time. Yeah. Robert loved Coal Miner's Daughter and would take off anytime cuz he didn't pay for any extra channels, so anytime it aired, um like on, like, whatever TBS or USA or some shit, he would like take right. off, only time he would ever take off work. Um, never called out sick, never did anything. But if Cole daughter, whenever it came on, he would always take off and watch it. Um, I can afford a VCR? Um, yeah, I mean, I think you remember that co worker, but um, yeah. but, I, but I asked for Robert's sake, um, about Cole Meyer's daughter. Um, I don't know, like, I don't know. I not that he'll ever listen to this, but I always, always. Like, I really like Sissy
1: Spacek like, a lot, yeah. but I don't care about Loretta Lynn. You know what I mean? Like, I just don't care. Sure. Yeah. It's like... Um, I understand. Like, watching, like, A Star is Born or something. You know, like, I, it's just... Mm-hmm. I,
0: don't... I understand. All right. um, Anything else that you wanted to bring up? Yeah, That year? Okay. Cool. I, think I, I think I'm done. Xanadu. Xanadu was 1980.
1: Love
0: Xanadu. Yeah, I don't know if you know that movie I've never seen it I, I've, I know all it this is, but it's I, on, I've never seen it
1: It's on HBO Max I think hmm. So you have the opportunity to go watch it
0: Is this like you telling me I should go watch Battlefield Earth?
1: Yes, it okay. is exactly the same <laughs> it's, I can't bring myself to watch Xanadu. Right, Like it's been on my watch list on Max since I subscribed to Max and I can't do it because I know that like It's going to be a real bad time, and I'm going to regret like ruining a pretty perfect childhood memory. Yeah, that's Um, always the risk I take when I do these. When I do nostalgia,
0: right? I um, yeah. And then we we figured out right before the podcast started that used cars would have been a good possible movie for last year's episode of uh, movies that Chris loves and Frank hates. Yeah okay Fair. all right um oh I my mean, god hell was that you're see that I'm not gonna make yeah i mean list, obviously but, i love that right. movie but i'm not right but it's, right it's not the list, yeah. not one of the and best we, and, we, and we talked about it i mean so it's we, true it's, it's i wouldn't case. even considered it otherwise I, I, know. I know all right so number five on your list is shogun assassin it is directed by kenji musim See, I already screwed up and I practiced these names all day. Um, Kenji Masumi and Robert Houston and it stars Tomisaburo Wakayama and Masahiro Tomikawa. And it is an 80% on Rotten Tomatoes from critics and a 92% from audiences. Uh, You want to just tell us a little bit about the origins of this movie and um, why it's on the list?
1: So it's based on... um... The manga uh, Lone Wolf and Cub. Um, it's actually a cobbled together version of two movies from the early 70s. Um, Sword of Vengeance and Baby Card at the River Sticks. Um, Robert, whatever his name is, Robert Houston. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess loved those movies and wanted to like make them more available to a wider audience. So they got the rights to exhibit them and they basically... Took a very small amount from um, the first film, and the majority of Baby Card at the River sticks, and combined them together into one movie, and then overdubbed them and made the um, this film, Shogun Assassin.
0: Changed the um, to the soundtrack too, right? Because this, this soundtrack was not what well, was in the original, correct? Yeah, right. Okay. So
1: the basic premise of um, the movie is. Um, The Shogun's assassin um, has kind of fallen out of favor uh, with the Shogun, who generally um, is thought to have lost his mind. Uh, The Shogun sends his assassins to kill um, Ogami Ito is the head head cutter or whatever. The Shogun's...
0: Decapitator. Decapitator, right. Mm
1: -hmm. Um, So they send him to murder Ito. Um, They succeed in killing Ito's wife, but Ito and his son survive, Um, so they become Ronin, like itinerant um, wandering samurai, Um, basically with the idea that they're going to kill the Shogun, Um, and he fashions a baby cart that has all kinds of different hidden blades and traps um, and wanders to countryside as he's getting pursued by the assassins of the Shogun. Um, he meets a variety of different people um, and basically like murders almost all of them yeah. uh, along the way. Um, objectively speaking, this is not like a great film, but I think it's, it's a lot of fun to watch. I really enjoy yeah. watching Shogun Assassin. This is probably the, I don't know, like, sixth or seventh time I've seen this movie. Um, used to be available in, like, really bad, beat-up VHS copies that were hard to find. Um, and then I think in, like, '03 maybe, it got remastered and released on DVD. Um, along with the Lady Snowblood movies, there was a big... That and, like, the Five Venoms. I I, I suppose it was maybe something to do with, like, Wu-Tang had something to do with it um mm-hmm. this this is a movie that from a hip-hop perspective in terms of like sampling is super important because it um absolutely is the basis of Liquid swords, uh the album. so a lot of the um sample dialogue in that album comes from uh this film directly um and rizza takes a lot of influence from the soundtrack and just the ambience of the movie. Um, in terms of the way that he like would craft um, his beats and samples, like throughout the majority of like the Wu Tang catalog, um, and would go on to influence stuff like uh, like Tarantino, the way that he scores Kill Bill, um, a combination of this and stuff like Morcone um, and RZA. Also, the way that he approached um, scoring films uh, came a lot from this movie. Um, I mean, it's a really There's some goofy dialogue translations to it, like most um, Asian import films from this time period. Uh, It was a pretty big business to just buy these Chinese and Japanese action films and overdub them and cut stuff out and basically cut them together. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that was cobbled together from different movies around this time. Um, Five Deadly Venoms, like all the Wu-Tang Clan stuff is a big example of that. But out of all of them, this is one of my favorite examples and just generally one of my favorite, like, guilty pleasure movies maybe ever. Um, I don't know. I love the action in it. I love the ideas behind it. I think it's a really good, um, because you and I have both read the manga series um, through our friend Chuck, uh, who bought them all, like, the individual, like, small, small
0: version. Honestly, it's one of the greatest things I ever read. Yep. Make makes you wish that
1: there was more of this, yeah. Um, to tell that entire story, and I there, there are other films I think that there are six of them, yeah, that have um Ito in them. But the only one that was released like this was Shogun Assassin. So, but again, like the Lady Snowblood stuff is really worth watching. This stuff's really good. <clears throat> Actually, maybe all six of them were released on DVD in the early two thousands. I I seem I, to think I, I, I think
0: th- I, I think I read that somewhere. Yeah.
1: Um. But in terms of like what I remember the most, because I saw this when I was younger and then repeatedly throughout my um adult years, uh, just a fun movie. Can't imagine that it was particularly like reviewed very well, if at all.
0: No, well, I mean, in, in, you mean at the time, yeah. or like, yeah, um, yeah, can can be reviewed. It, I mean, so I think it was, it was, it was the New York Times was at least reviewing it, so um, <clears throat> but uh. Yeah, this is, this is a fun movie. I love the soundtrack on this movie. And I love uh, the narration of this movie. The, the narration of this movie makes this movie to me. Because uh, it actually can be, like, kind of makes fun of it some. And says that the boys, like, ends up being so understated that it makes the movie a comedy unintentionally. Um, which I guess I could see that point. But... I think he's just being an asshole by saying that. I don't think it does that personally. I think if you're a cynic, like it does that. I I think there's that,
1: I don't know what the word, I, I don't want to call it racist, but that like misapprehension of Asian filmmaking mm-hmm. that people kind of mocked when we were young. Um, right like the the really quick running and the mm-hmm. um, over exaggerated sound effects of like attacks and sword on sword and you know fist on body and um, I mean I can see like how somebody that whatever I don't know that I've ever looked at it as being like a comedy but I guess I could see like at the time period how someone could look at it like that maybe I think we've maybe come a long way since then, so... Yeah, I do, too.
0: But, do you think Dave Kerr liked this movie?
1: I can't imagine. I
0: don't think Dave Kerr's ever liked anything fun. <sighs> uh, He says... I just looked this up. I, I, I had no idea. Um... With all the exposition and nuance eliminated, the film becomes a pure elemental conflict. It suggests a roadrunner cartoon populated by hordes of anonymous extras all spouting great fountains of orange glow blood as severed limbs fly everywhere. The original direction by Misumi shows heavy influence of Sergio Leone. It's full of booming close-ups and lyrical decapitations filmed against the setting sun. Overall, an amazing cross-cultural artifact. That's about as good as you can get out to occur, I think, for a movie like this.
1: Yeah, that's surprising. Yeah, it's weird. Um, I would expect him to be a lot more cynical.
0: Right, me too. Um, yeah, I'm surprised by that. Can be, doesn't surprise me, being cynical. but um. So, yeah, I... Although Camby does say he says the photography, like he he, it seems like both of them are saying the same thing that like the original direction of it they really like a lot. Um, it's more of the newer elements that have been added in that they they question a little bit. Um, just Kerr's more positive about it. Yeah, so this is only the second time I've ever seen this. Um, I really enjoyed watching it again. Uh, Brandy watched it with me because she had never seen it, but it seemed mm. like it seemed like one of those cultural artifacts as Kerr talked about that somebody should see. And, um, and we didn't really talk about it at all, so I don't know what that means. <laughs> Usually, she'll like say something like um, about it, and we didn't really. She didn't really say anything, so. Um, I know she was really taken aback at first until like the full extent of the scene was exposed. The scene where he starts ripping the woman's dress off right. of her. Um and I could see her get visibly uncomfortable during that scene. And then it's she still didn't like her guard didn't go down even after like it's 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 revealed that he's just trying to get her the wet clothes off over to pull her to him to keep her her warm um her her guard still didn't go down after that it was kind of like a derisive like (laughs) um, so but yeah that scene was a little uncomfortable watching it again i had actually forgotten about it
1: i mean this is a culture that had Mm -hmm. a superhero series that was about a guy that raped women who did bad things so i don't know that's probably sure not that it's like there's, you know, not to excuse degrees of bad taste, but there's sure. far worse, like bad yes, taste. There is, yeah. From the 1970s from Japan, so.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, Christ, they were still putting out video games, what, like 10 years ago, 15 years ago, about like raping, revenge rape, like fantasies, probably like in video games?
1: Probably like 10 minutes ago. <laughs>
2: I
0: don't stuff. Okay, Flash game, probably, but. Um, but all right, so number four on your list is Breaker Morant. It is directed by Bruce Beresford, and it has the most white cast names I've ever heard in my entire life: Ed Woodward, Jack Thompson, and Brian Brown. It has one hundred percent on Rotten Tomatoes from critics, though, and a ninety-one percent from audiences. So I have a feeling this would be one that audience would be least familiar with. So you want to tell us a little bit about this movie and why you like it so much?
1: Um, so based on true events that happened during the Second Boer War um, in Australia uh, in the turn of the 20th century, um, it follows a group of um, Australian soldiers uh, who were fighting on the same side as the British to suppress the... Um, or were they, Dutch settlers that were engaged in, like, guerrilla warfare. Um, there was a basically, like, unwritten but tacit understanding that you did not take prisoners during this war. Um, so the story follows the court-martial trial of uh, Harry Morant, um, James something, and Daniel something, I remember their names um who were three two officers and an enlisted man that were accused of basically murdering prisoners of war um and so it's told in a series of flashbacks that show um from like a pretty standard courtroom setting i though it's in like not a standard setting but like a, a standard setup with like a tribunal like and then there's a prosecution and a defense and then cutting back to um flashbacks of what actually happened like out in the out in combat on the belt. Um and it doesn't necessarily pull any punches as to whether or not these men are guilty of doing this, but more or less is a question of kind of the Nuremberg defense, which is if you were following orders during wartime, can you be considered a criminal? Right. If what you did following orders was particularly heinous or inhumane <clears throat> um uh harry morant breaker morant uh called breaker because he was a i guess like an expert horse breaker in addition to like being a amateur poet and well-read man of man of letters um was a colonel i think in um whatever they're called the the infantry. Um, their commander was killed, his unit, and as a measure of revenge, they rounded up the people that they felt were responsible for the murder of their commander and then executed them, basically. Um, they're also responsible for executing a number of innocent civilians and a uh, um, preacher. Um, they don't really show the innocent civilians part. They show the preacher part. Um Bruce Beresford made this movie in I guess sort of an attempt to show the true story of the trial. Um, a lot of Australians have a great deal of like national pride apparently towards this case. Um, and see Braykel Morant and his co-defendants as national heroes. Um, but there's other sides of history that don't look at it so kindly. Um, they really do look at him as being like a murderer and Um, You know, people that were committing, like, crimes and not even, like, acts of war. Um, It's a pretty compelling story. Uh, I think it does a good job of humanizing everyone. um, And doesn't necessarily take the side of the men on trial. Um, It skews that way a little bit, I think. But it also presents enough information where if you're, you know... Whatever, like you have the ability to reason for yourself whether or not their um ultimate deaths at the at Firing Squad. Um Harry Morant and uh, James are justified. Um really well filmed. Like I love I love the look of actual film stock in open settings like this. Um like these rolling hills, but everything looks like, you know, dirty and whatever. It's it's very It's a very gritty, like, realistic portrayal, I think, of, like, what war was like at that time period before Automatic Weapons. I don't know. It's just a really good movie. I think it does a great job of taking something that can be really boring, which is, like, courtroom drama, and makes it interesting and um, pretty compelling to watch. And, like, you're really drawn in by the end as to whether or not these guys are going to, you know, basically like get away and you're kind of rooting for them a little bit. Um, even though ultimately they were murderers and they murdered these people. Um, when in reality they should have followed like actual war, you know, the, whatever the protocol of like the British army and taking these people prisoner and had them brought in. Right. stand trial. Um,
0: I really don't know much
1: about the Boer war. Uh like, there's a decent amount of, I mean, like, reading uh, like comics and the music I listened to in the 90s, there were references sometimes to that time period, especially because there was, like, a lot of Irish scripts, I guess, that got sent yeah. to fight in the Boer War. Um, but I didn't really know much about it until I started reading about it now, like, watching Breaker Morant. You know, and I'd seen Breaker Morant before, but I guess I'd never really crossed my mind to, like, look it up. Um, But I really enjoyed it. And, you know, I think it's a movie that really stands up well. Um, Again, I think it's a pretty compelling look at the idea of the Nuremberg defense and um, what's allowable in regards to someone committing like war crimes or, you know, what you can accept a human being being able to do um, during the course of like a war situation. That's actually a really great line during the defense's closing statements where he says that, you know, you can't try this like a civilian trial because these men are not civilians and civilian law can't be applied to what happens to people on the field of battle. And that's a really interesting, um, yeah. You know, question, like, is that true? Like you send people to risk their lives and die and fight. And when they do it,
0: well, right. We train people to be murderers and then we criticize them when they murder.
1: Right. Yeah. Can you hold them to that same standard? So it's a, it's pretty, um, sure pretty messy moral moral uh, dilemma and i think the movie does a really good job of framing it in a um a poetic and a uh, succinct way so. yeah
0: no agreed i'd never heard of this movie before i'd never seen this movie before um i think i started watching it in the afternoon or something like that like you know honestly I, if i'm being honest like it's like oh i'm just gonna get through this movie this afternoon and you know and i was like drawn in like immediately um i thought it was a really engaging movie. I thought it was, uh, you know, solid performances all the way around. I thought it was, like you said, an interesting philosophical question, like, done in kind of this nice, neat way. Um, uh, With just strong writing, decent, like, pretty good direction, and, um, you know, a a pretty well-paced movie overall, and... Uh yeah, I was I was really happy with the movie. I thought it was good. Um, solid movie. Um, it made me look him up. I Beresford. I, I didn't Beresford, know. Yeah. yeah, I I I didn't know who he was. Like, um, because I I did. I just didn't know. I knew who he was because um, I think he remains kind of like in those other movies that I know him from. He doesn't like. He's not flashy. You know. He's just yeah. a very solid, competent director who doesn't necessarily put his touch to me on anything. Um, now that I've looked him up and like know who he is a little bit better. Um, and uh, yeah, I think the only actor that really becomes like popular out of this, like years down the road is like Brian Brown becomes like, g- gains a lot of notoriety as a character actor, particularly in Britain, sure. um, you know, years later. So I recognized him even though he's pretty young here. Uh, yeah. I, I don't have any complaints about the movie. It was just a really solid movie. Um, I know that it won pretty much everything in Australia that year in their like, film awards. Um, it was nominated for a bunch
1: of Academy Awards, too.
0: Right. Uh, but yeah, and uh, I, I also looked up the Boer War. I, I had looked it up um, like 15 years ago and done some research only because of the Iceman Cometh. Right. Because right? two of them are veterans of the uh, I think the same war, right? This is the second, right? Yeah, the second. Um, yeah, the second. Because this was two 90, uh, 1902, right? Yeah, okay. Yeah, sorry, sorry, sorry. So this is 18, 1898
1: to 1902 or something like that. Yeah,
0: yeah. Um, so yeah, I'd done a little bit. I ended up going back and like looking at it too, just so I understood the context like a little bit more. But yeah, it's an interesting movie. Um, The only like criticism... the, the Seriously, the most serious criticism I can find in this movie out of audiences... Um, was still this very well-reasoned rational criticism, which from Richard H. on Rotten Tomatoes uh, said, it is a sufficiently engaging, if not particularly intellectual movie, a piece too drenched in the melodrama at certain times to surprise anyone now. <laughs> that was the harshest criticism I could find. Yeah. So maybe There's,
1: I, there's apparently um, a decent amount of people from South Africa that are highly critical of it because they view it as kind of a Almost exoneration of Morant mm-hmm. and his um, compatriots. Um, I guess that's where the Boers, like and in, in, originally came from,
2: mm-hmm. was they
1: were South African immigrants, maybe. Okay. To Australia. Yeah, um, yeah that's true. That's right. I, yeah. Mm-hmm. I I ordered a book from Amazon. Uh, I tried to look up some reviews of like books about it. Mm-hmm. Um, just I felt like I'd be interested in reading it, so we'll see how long that sits in my pile without being read. Uh, when it gets here on Thursday but
0: right but yeah so um, he ends up going on to direct um, a number of like fairly well known movies I think I mean that's his biggest right Um, but uh, her Her alibi her, her alibi right and I although I'll tell you I think what his best movie is besides this is Tender Mercies you know that Nobody movie? I knew that movie. Um, it, it was nominated for best picture. Um, the year it came out, I think it was like '83. Yeah, '83. Uh, it's um oh, Robert Duvall, um, is an alcoholic country singer. Um, I only know this movie. Also, this is the Robert episode. Also, because of my former co-worker Robert, who. Just like he loved that Lorraine Lynn movie, also loved this movie about this like alcoholic country singer, um, played by Robert Duvall. And I ended up watching Tender Mercies because of that, because he like loved it so much. And it's a really good movie. Like, um, I I actually do think you would like it probably. It's, um, him, him, Betty Buckley, Wilford Brimley, and Ellen Barkin, um, are all in it. Um, but it's, um, yeah, it's, 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 it's a good movie. Like, it's a, Slightly more country fied. I don't know. There's like like five easy pieces vibes to it a little bit, but it's not as good as five easy pieces. Like it's mm. but it's a it's it's a good movie. Um But again, you wouldn't even know he directed. I didn't even know he directed that because like I said, like he's so he's so he he's he's not a flashy director. You know, he doesn't have signatures like our famous ones that we always talk about, like Scorsese, or you know, like right. people like that. Um, you know, but yeah, no, it's he's, he's a competent director. Um, um, he knows how to like piece together like a, a movie, uh, really well. And I thought so here too. Uh, oh, I've seen that Mr. Johnson movie too, I think, for some reason. I don't know why that has something to do with school. Yeah, I remember that one too. It's on Criterion, I think. Um, yeah, good movie. Um, yeah, any final thoughts on it? Mm, no. Okay. Uh, all right, so number three on your list is Altered States, directed by Ken Russell. It stars William Hurt. Blair Brown and Bob Balaban has an 84% from critics on Rotten Tomatoes and a 71% from audiences. You want to tell us a little bit about the movie and why
1: you have it number three? Uh, William Hurt plays a uh, scientist whose main focus is um, basically researching human consciousness through senses and sensory altering experiences like sensory deprivation and drugs um he's considered to basically be a genius uh he marries this woman who's also like top of her field and they have a couple of kids but as their relationship is deteriorating he goes to mexico to find this indigenous tribe that apparently um i guess are experts on like trans transcendental experiences through the consumption of like substances uh so he basically goes on sort of a walkabout in mexico and meets this tribe that shows him this thing called the first flower um that lets him sort of like leave his body and experience i don't know what you would call it like a reality altering experience um so he brings it back and continues to do more and more drastic experimentation with it Um, Eventually, regressing himself to a point of, for a large portion of the movie, like an ape man kind of, like a pre, what would you call that? Pre Neanderthal like version of himself, Mm -hmm. Um, and eventually regressing even further into like a gelatinous blob of energy, Um, until he's over time like brought back into grounded reality by his wife um, when she's almost consumed, like, he sees that and that brings him back. Um, I really just kind of reduced that movie to, like, nothing in terms of description, but, I mean, I think that's pretty much the premise. Right. Um, It's more or less a study of, like, how far this man is driven to, like, what, what extremes someone can be driven to go to in pursuit of knowledge and personal enlightenment. Mm-hmm. Because that's ultimately like his goal is to test the boundaries of human ability and human consciousness and human perception um, by pushing himself, you know, to these like extreme limits. Um, Ken Russell is a real weird dude. Um, he loves like shocking and interesting visual um, iconography which he does a number of times in this movie, um, in very like surreal and almost a cult, almost like Lovecraftian, like dream sequences kind of. Mm-hmm. Um, which I think are particularly like us like impactful and interesting to, to watch. Um, from a visual standpoint, I think this movie is is amazing to see. Um, with the limitations of the time in terms of like special effects and stuff, but still like the the things that Russell, like, creates, like, the images and stuff are really impressive. Um, and buoyed by uh, what I consider to be one of the better performances by her, um, playing that very limited slice of, like, human existence that that he can portray effectively, if that makes sense. Like, he's a weird, weird guy as an actor where I don't know that he's got a huge amount of range. But like when you get him in that slim range that represents him, mm-hmm. which is slightly aloof, moderately condescending,
2: yeah,
1: out of touch with human existence, but still interested by it.
2: Yeah, the, sm- like, the smoke
1: character, yeah, that smoke version, right?
2: Yeah,
1: right. When he plays that, like he's pretty much perfect at it, and I think that's him in this role, right here. Um, as this guy that you know doesn't even realize what he's doing is necessarily immoral or unethical or potentially harmful to the people around them because the pursuit of knowledge is more important than anything else. Um, As much of a horror movie as it is a science fiction movie as it is a philosophical movie in a lot of ways, um, it's pretty difficult, I think, to fully capture what it is in terms of a genre, um, but still pretty effective. You know, 40 years later, um, I think still important and interesting to watch. Um, maybe a little hokey in the grand scheme of things, because obviously, like, with virtual reality and just the way that we can alter our own perceptions every day um, through the use of technology and how mind altering drugs have kind of become like the norm in terms of controlling people's like, thoughts and psychoses and whatever. Like, it's maybe a little, I don't know, pedestrian. I like, to think about stuff like sensory deprivation. But I still think it's effective, and I think that Hertz' performance, like, elevates it even more so. Yeah. really good in it, too.
0: Yeah. Mm. Um, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I... I had never seen Alter States before. Like I, I have heard you talk about it. I like read its name a couple times, but I had never seen it because I'm not particularly somebody who goes out and seeks out body horror. Right. Um. But uh, yeah. No, I thought I, I thought this was good. I I liked it. I actually find that I actually like body horror more than I ever thought. Like through this podcast. Um. Honestly, like I tend to like a lot of those movies that um. Yeah. Are, are part of that genre. It's it's really got to be done right. Sure. Like when we when we
1: talk about stuff that's be, you know, stuff that I gen- generally have a lot of affection for and like I'm not a huge fan of some kind of body horror but like, you know, I think when it's done well, I think it can be really effective and I think the idea of like
0: So, so just real quick, just a little, quick list just to run this down. Like society does it in a comedic way enough that it's gross but funny kind of, too. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um what's the Stuart Gordon movie?
1: Reanimator?
0: No, although that has body horror. Oh, um, uh, from Beyond. Yeah, like I think that's done in like that kind of um, Lovecraftian way that makes right. it like truly like horrifying and gross, but like yeah. you feel, you actually feel the horror of it. So I think it works in that way. Yeah. I o- I always love The Fly, like Cronenberg's uh, The Fly, like for that like body horror elements, even down to like not him turning into the thing, which I think is still effective and gross but also like just like little shit like the arm breaking and all that kind of right. stuff which is like the image that re- that i remember from that movie um what else have we done body horror like it's like i just find that I, there's this pattern now that i actually like video drone right yep i like i man.
1: mean all the crawl all the Cronenberg stuff we have talked about in in essence is body horror. sure the brood um rabid uh Scanners. I mean, like all right. that stuff has some element yeah, of right. body horror to it, right? Um, scanners maybe the least, but that still has the explosion of someone's head from the inside out. Sure, the psychic powers. Um, yeah, like I don't. So I watched Cabin Fever recently, which to me is like one of the more modern examples of body horror.
0: The one and where, I like, thought it was okay. Like five, or six rich- years ago. No, 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 the original one, the Eli
1: Roth one from, like...
0: From oh, okay, four. gotcha, okay, yeah, I haven't seen that since it came out, yeah.
1: Um, it's better than, than I remember to be. Like, I thought it was a better movie than my initial estimation was of it, whatever, like, 20 years ago. Um, I don't really like body horror for, like, gross-out effect. Like, I don't, I don't like it when it's... I like it when there's a purpose behind it, like, when it's meant to be... I don't know it's telling a story or it's sure sure yeah whatever like there, there, there's, there's a yeah there's a
0: reason for it
1: yeah like like tetsuo body horror to me is the best kind of example because it's so weird and hyper stylized you know but it's a condemnation of man's dependency on technology and unliving things to exist right yeah. so it makes sense yeah um like i like that yeah, there's a series of. I think so, I
0: think society does the exact same thing. Sure. Yeah.
1: Right in a more American way. Right. Sure. Um, there's a series of movies, and I think we briefly talked about them that we will never talk about unless we talk about movies that Frank is absolutely disgusted by. Um, called the Guinea Pig series Hold on, in let me, Japan. Right. Um, let me let me write down that down in the notes real quick. Uh, just, so, go ahead. I'm sorry. Um, there's a series called a guinea pig it's japanese so it's like usually the most abjectly awful torture porn and they're not very well filmed or anything but like they're just absolutely disgusting uh to the point where they were banned i think not not really banned like that's kind of apocryphal but um they were definitely hard to find in certain countries and not really well known because of how gruesome and graphic they are but they're all body horror and like they're not very good you know there's nothing interesting about them There's one with a guy that can't die. Like he finds out that he, like whatever, like he, no matter what bodily harm is inflicted on him, he still continues to live, and he does stuff like pull his guts out and throw them at people to attack him
0: and shit. And it's just, just yeah, right, right,
1: right. So that's the kind of stuff. Understood. Yeah.
0: I'm but uh, yeah I, I find that a lot of body horror actually has an intellectual or symbolic element to the uh, the entire thing much like we've talked oh. about with you know Videodrome and Tetsuo and Society and like there's actual meanings behind it and I felt the same way here that there's actually like deep philosophical like questions that are being asked under the surface of this um, Yeah I agree. Um,
1: I um there's a movie that came yeah. out recently I can't remember what it's called, but it's about a woman who's compulsively eats swallow, swallow. Yeah, like I, have, I, have, for... I, have, I have
0: it. I have it saved to watch on um, Prime right now because uh, John Waters recommended it. Oh, okay. So... Well, fuck
1: me then. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I, thought I was going to tell you about something. <laughs> um, Sorry. <laughs> right. What, what, is that, what is that line? See.
0: What is that drive run line from? Um... Uh, I shot my wad
1: I, I I blew my wad on a dry run so in a manner of speaking. Right in a
0: manner of speaking. Right.
1: Um Right. I don't know. I, I, I think it looks like it could be pretty good. Um I'm interested in seeing that. And that's like that may makes me really uncomfortable like in the trailers when she's putting like uh um, I
0: yeah. Uh, thumbtacks in her
1: mouth and stuff. Ugh, oh no, really I, I don't know
0: anything about this movie. I just know that I uh, John Waters recommended it, and that it's about a woman who swallows inanimate objects. I have not seen a trailer. I don't know shit. Oh, it's um, it's, it's uncomfortable. Yeah, I texted Bledsoe about. I, I actually didn't tell you about it because it feels like something that would make you extremely uncomfortable to me.
1: Yeah, but I really want to watch it because it looks like it's. It looks really smart, and it's it's beautifully filmed. Like, the the trailer is fucking gorgeous for this movie. And it, I don't know, like, I feel like I'm just going to watch it just to see. Um, that'll be a week that we're off the podcast. We, we don't have podcast movies to watch all. And I'm like, I have a couple movies ahead on the quick gauge. I'll probably watch it.
2: Mm-hmm. There's
1: actually that. There's a movie called Relics. Um, and she dies tomorrow, I think it's called. That's really? my tri- trifecta of things I want to watch.
0: Where's Relics at? Uh, you have to pay for it at some point. Mm. Okay.
1: It's um,
0: Alzheimer's it cool. horror movie. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I know. I, I've actually read about it, like just because it was up for twenty dollars for so long, but um, it's ten now. Yeah. i, I I'm sp- Yeah, I thought it was up for free somewhere now.
1: No, you can't rent it either. You can only buy it, which is really weird. So. Right. But yeah, there's like, I have a whole list of things that I want to watch before we do the next Fresh Five. Um, so here we are spoiling shit. That's cool. <laughs> right. It's fine. I'll move on to the number two movie. What was some criticism of Altered States? Um, pretty high. You said what, 89% or 90% from critics?
0: No, 84. But it's still pretty high. for it's still yeah. pretty high. Um... So, uh, Marjorie Baumgartner, uh, which sounds like an rough development character from the Austin Chronicle. Um, she calls it an uneasy blend of extreme visuals and bloated dra- dra- dramaturgy of, um, Tchaikovsky. Um, oh, right. I don't care about him. Right. A lot of people did at that time though. Like a lot of boomers cared about that guy. Um, by was like what golden age of television right like that's like his big deal is that right yeah yeah i think um i don't know what the fuck he worked on like i know he wrote network um which he's really famous for like i but i, I think like his like big thing where like he gained notoriety was um the golden age of television which is why network is such a big deal um in some ways is because he was part of that right scene um so there, there's you know, there's that kind of stuff you know, which is I think just people kind of like a you know freaking out over the idea of the visuals and stuff like that. In um, more kind of like uh, things that like maybe, um, who was it? Pauline Kale said that um, uh, that it was a grotesquely inspired combination of Russell with this showbiz Catholic. <laughs> glitz mysticism and tchaikovsky with a showbiz jewish ponderousness that results in an aggressively silly picture that isn't really enjoyable um which is a really nice way of saying i think almost the same thing as baumgartner was trying to say right um but uh yeah so i mean i i can see where like some people are turned off almost by like the what she calls the ponderousness of the movie at times um I can see where people are really just turned off by, like, him as, even though he's not a traditional protagonist, as a protagonist. Not a hero, but a protagonist. I can see where people are turned off by him, um, potentially, because he's a douche. Right. Oh, yeah, he's an awful human being. It's it's really hard to, like, try to have any kind of sympathy for him, like, whatsoever. Um, It's actually
1: kind of um, setting the stage for uh, less than palatable male characters in movies. Over the next like three, uh, three films. Not so much in the second, definitely the first.
0: Oh, oh, oh! Yes, right, yeah, 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 right. I, I, I think there's no the second two, <laughs> the second two. Um,
1: He's a little more charming. Yes, absolutely agree. Yeah, William um, Hurt's uh, character is not a charmer. He's just an asshole.
0: Yeah, he's in a he's an asshole in broadcast news too, right? Yes, he's an asshole in everything ever. Yeah, sure, sure, sure. I'm trying to think of where he's the hero. Like it, there, there's got to be a movie. Actually, Lost you know in what a- Space. Right, and that's a fucking winner, right? A terrible um, movie.
1: He, like, he's so unbelievable in it because he's genuinely a good guy, right?
0: Uh, you know what? Uh. He's a, like a protagonist in like a, a like supposed to be like a decent guy like um in Children of Lesser God, right? I guess so. Yeah. It's um,
1: different too if you want to add it to the list.
0: <laughs> um this is a good title. It's a great title. Um and it's fun to reference it. It's almost like why I always talk about JoJo Dancer, Your life is calling. Um, another great title. Kiss of the Spider Woman. I've never seen that fucking movie.
2: Mm, that's a good movie.
0: Is it okay? Yeah. I've never seen it. Um, like I think I've seen like almost everything in like William Hurt. Well, some of these I'll never watched. But I mean, I've seen most things of William Hurt's catalog. I've never seen Kiss of the Kiss the Spider Woman ever. It's just I, just, I really, I, I really enjoyed that movie. Yeah. Um, there's actually a list next year that might end up on.
2: Huh. Okay. Nice.
0: Um, all right. So number two on your list is, um, Lewis Malley's Atlantic city stars, Burt Lancaster, Susan Saran Kate Reed and Michael Piccolo has a 100% from audiences and a 77% from, uh, sorry, one hundred percent from critics and seventy-seven percent from audiences. Uh, you want to tell us a little bit about this movie? And did I pronounce his name correctly? Absolutely,
1: it- the opposite of uh,
0: correct. What? How is how is his name pronounced? It's it's Louis Mall. Oh, he's French. Yeah. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Louis Louis Mall. Uh huh. Oh, okay. I, I I just assumed he was like Italian or something like that. So he was. <laughs>
1: Now nah, he's, he's I, I believe, I believe he's French.
0: Gotcha. Okay. <clears throat> See some some European shit. Okay. So Louis uh, Mallet? Louis Mall, Mall, Mall. Okay. Like like Martin Mall. That's Mall. This is Mall. <laughs> Mall. Mall. Um. Somebody's sure. name is Mall, right? Richard Mall. Richard Mall. Richard Mall. Yeah. There we go. It's
1: All like right. just like Richard Mall. Right, and Martin Mall.
0: Right, Bull from Mike Court. Yeah,
1: right. They should they should form a, a crime fighting trio. The malls, <laughs> they're all dead.
0: And is with that the true? Mid, I, I don't know with the Mid Atlantic accent, like they all sound the same. So yeah, it's like the Mid Atlantic malls. Um, well, Louis Louis Louis,
1: Louis Mall is dead.
0: He always has to be. Uh, Richard Mall is uh, still alive. Um, at 77 years old and he um he was just in a movie in 2018 called sleigh bells S- s-l-e-y yes it's- yeah he played officer green so it had to be a cameo role as a joke because he was bull or something like that right. like um and then Martin Mall, Martin Mall's got to still be alive, right? Is he? Yeah, Martin Mall's alive. I'm pretty sure Is he. Okay, yeah, he's still alive. Um,
1: well, they just carry the corpse of Louis Mall around with them, <laughs> right? I mean, but you want to talk about Atlantic City? Yes. Um. All right. Cool. So it's a uh, uh, almost like new new wave um gangster movie i guess is what i would call it uh set in atlantic city during the transition from sort of like a rundown seaside resort into like the las vegas of the east um so most of the backdrop is construction of these casinos that are sort of pushing out um the local populace. Um, Story centers on two characters, Uh, the first played by Susan Sarandon, who's an aspiring um, car dealer. She's a waitress in a casino. Um, She wants to learn how to be a dealer so she can eventually move to Morocco and kind of get away from her life in the United States and, you know, deal blackjack. Um, Her husband had left her because he got her sister pregnant. Um, So she sort of escaped that as well. Um, there's also uh, across the apartment complex from her is for um, Lancaster, who's an aging minor hood, um, a guy that you eventually find out over the course of the movie, just random numbers for an actual mobster um, back in like, I guess, like the 60s at that point in Atlantic City, um, who's fallen to becoming like the kept man of the widow of one of the gangsters that he used to work for. Um, So they're the two central characters, and the premise is that um, Sarandon's ex-husband comes into town with his pregnant wife and with a large amount of cocaine that he wants to sell, Um, and he gets hooked up with Lancaster's character, who sort of convinces him that he was more of, like, an influential crime figure than he actually was, and they sort of, like, convince each other of Whatever, like each of their usefulness um, through stro- stoking each other's egos, or whatever. Uh, but the ex- the husband ends up getting murdered by the gangsters that the cocaine was originally stolen from in Philadelphia, in a particularly um, action packed and brutal like scene um, where he mm-hmm. gets caught on a car car elevator um, and stabbed to death with like an ice pick. Like it's really intimate, intimately awful. Like to watch that man die. Yeah. Um, Lancaster takes that as his end to kind of flirt with Sarandon because he's sort of pine. He's like creepily watched her across the way. Um, he uses his money and the appearance of like his importance to kind of, and she's very credulous, like very trusting. Like you can see her throughout the movie kind of like gravitating towards older men that have like some knowledge because she wants to be smarter than what she thinks she is. Um, Lancaster's a scumbag I mean aside from being like a minor crook who runs numbers he's also like just freely sleeping with the widow and also with Susan Sarandon and eventually um, you know they they he ends up shooting and killing the um, crooks that are after the cocaine. They devise a plot to run away together to Miami, but she ends up kind of like walking out on him and taking the money. And he goes back to the um, the widow that he takes care of, and they sort of. She kind of admits like uh, respect for him, and they're together at the end, um, walking arm in arm. So I guess kind of a sort of happy ending, like even though it's right. a grimy movie in a lot yeah. of ways. Yeah, um, really amazing performances by both Sarandon and Lancaster. Um, but also in the big characters, like the minor characters in this movie are fantastic. Um, the guy that plays the the mobster that Lancaster's currently working for is really good. Um, the guy that plays her ex-husband is really good. Um, the woman that plays the widow gangster wife is really good in this movie. It's just very, very naturalistic, very well realized. Um, Louis Mal has like a really good eye for, I don't know. It almost feel, feels like an extension of something like, um, I don't know, like French connection or, um, I don't know, mean streets or something, but in a much more toned down, uh, realistic slice of life kind of way.
0: Like, well, it feels Sarandon. it feels it feels like something like you what you just mentioned, but updated to the seventies, right? That's what it feels like.
1: I mean, Susan Sarandon's working at a you know a seafood buffet, right? Like it's not like like none of these people have glamorous lives. It's not high stakes crime like you usually see in movies. So we this week, right? Her her
0: her dream is to become a a, a blackjack dealer. I mean, right? Just in a right. different
1: place, right? Yeah, um, she doesn't need to be rich or anything. She just wants to learn French a little bit and go to Monaco. Right. Um, maybe th- so an an interesting like <laughs> comparison point to this movie, I think, in a lot of ways, is a uh, Hardy, because Hardy is this movie, but mm-hmm. with mm-hmm. that hard boiled like gangster eye to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's interesting mm-hmm. because I really think that if you look at um Paul Thomas Anderson and his influences, I think you see a lot of people like like Louis Maul, but also like Cassavetes and just like these filmmakers of the, the 70s, Antonioni, you know, like these people from this time and that he's like the extension of that. And it's just interesting that like his first movie, I think, was really kind of mm-hmm. almost an homage to like this story in a way, um, you know, with these lower class people, but his is told in a much more noirish aspect where this movie is not noir at all. It's really right. just you know. Yeah. Like if you take the crime out of this movie, I think it's still an interesting, believable movie about people on the fringe of society like interacting with each other and kind For of sure. coming to terms with their own failings in humanity. And yeah, yeah. the the crime element just adds like that extra I don't know, like like motivating narrative or whatever to the movie. But um really well filmed, really like the the script is really fantastic, the performances are amazing. Um, it's just it's it's a beautiful movie and it's a pretty. I hate the word pretty. It's it's a very um, very important movie to me. Like it's one of my favorite movies from when I was younger and I've watched it a few times. Um, in the interim, um, really made me fall in love with Louis Mao at the time, um, even though his last movie is terrible damages. It's not terrible. It's just not great. Um, but yeah. So definitely worth watching.
0: Yeah, I agree. I, free for me. Frank. It was free. Yeah, it was free for me, too. Um,
1: for you, because you're getting free for free, free for Frank. No. What? It's, just on, it's just on Prime, I think. Oh, is it? Yeah. Oh, I thought it was on Criterion. I don't think so unpro- I don't know I can't ever tell where I'm <laughs> um, on so you know what it is I got confused because I watched Breaker Morant and Shogun Assassin on Criterion yes and I thought and yes. bad timing too and, and bad timing yep mm-hmm. that I watched all I, I thought that I was able to watch every movie on this list on Criterion but I let me ask you this
0: real, real quick real quick did I did you search for those movies or do you go to your library knowing that I've already added them
1: Oh no, I just go to my library knowing you're Okay.
0: Okay. okay. All right. Uh, I just we wanna make sure
1: all I... of, every movie on this list except for Altered States, I could have just walked over to my D V D collection and pulled out. Right. But I was lazy. Yeah. I get it. Um, I actually I... have a really nice collection of uh like seventies and early eighties New Wave movies and Atlantic Cities on that. Um, mm-hmm. I can't remember what it's called, but uh anyway.
0: Anyway, this is this this is a really solid movie. First time I have seen it in I don't know how ha- I was too young to have seen this movie probably like to really fully understand it. I was probably like 12 or something like that. Um whenever that first period where I watched like all these like, you know, notable movies. Um and I think I was texting you this is like, I I was just too young to understand that. I think fully at the time I understood the plot. I understood what happened, but I couldn't understand the motivations of the characters. I couldn't understand, like, you know, I just didn't have enough life experience to fully like grasp their situations in life and realize Mm -hmm. how just, I I think I got a sense of the idea that it was sad and depressing kind of, but I didn't realize the full extent of just how like pitiful, like the lives of these people are. And like this, and the little like, Major things to them but minor things to other people like these like you know major failures that they're dealing with in life um and yeah it was a really depressing movie to watch i thought but it was also a silly uh an engrossing movie at the same time despite that like i think this is easily could have made like a top 10 of the most depressing movies ever list or something like that like you know because i find this movie extremely depressing even by the end like i I find it Depressing. there's
1: there's that glimmer of hope at the end that yeah. she's going that yeah. she's become self-possessed enough that she might be okay and that he might at least just settle down and just being like understanding his place and just being like a meaningful part of somebody's life as opposed to sure a parasite really yeah um it's interesting because like i used to I used to hate her character in this movie um, the first couple of times that I watched it. And I think that when I got it on DVD, so maybe about 10 years ago, um, maybe a little longer than that, like I realized that I just misunderstood her my whole life and that she's like, I always thought she was an idiot and completely unsympathetic. Like, why are you so dumb? Like, why are you putting yourself in this situation? why do you let this man come back in your life after he, like, you know, impregnated your sister and left you? Right. But it's like, she's just a person who has nothing and just wants something. And she's settled for something so small is, like, her thing that she wants. And she can't even get it. Like, it's it's, it's so sad of a character, of somebody that's just, has this small, like, Far away dream of this thing that she wants to do. And it's just willing to basically sacrifice any self respect or like personal comfort to like achieve that thing and doesn't even go about it in the right way. Like it's a really sad character. Yes,
0: it is. I'm going to ask you this question off air and I'm going to write it down so I don't forget because I think you might get mad at me if I ask this question like on air. Um, You won't get mad at me. But, um, Okay. Um, yeah, this is a this is a, I I agree with you completely. Like that's a, that's a, that's I think that's an absolutely brilliant analysis um, of that character uh, and, and, and an explanation of like what's going on internally inside of her. Um,
1: and the thing that's amazing about this movie, and thank you for that compliment, I guess. Mm-hmm. The thing that's amazing about this movie is that it does all those things and never beats you over the head with any of them. Like, no right. one ever comes out right, and soliloquy, like, gives a soliloquy about Susan Sarandon's character. Like, no one sure. ever is there saying, like, this is how things are. It just happens naturally through conversation and scene and narrative. And, like, you get to this point without ever even knowing that you've gotten to that point. It's, it's, it's pretty amazing. Like, it's a, a great movie.
0: Yeah, absolutely, and I love Burt Lancaster and This I was texting you uh, like, I, I'm not a guy who's a fan like, I I actually watched last year like, even more Burt Lancaster early movies from the 40s and I just do not like him like, in the old, like, noir like, war movie setting yeah. like, I'm not a fan of that dude I love old Burt Lancaster, though I think Burt Lancaster was a guy that like, once he got old, like, past a certain age like, I think he's Almost like stop taking himself seriously and develop a fucking sense of humor. Yeah. And there's like a there's a gleam in his eyes suddenly, like where there's not that in his early career. He's like this like stiff Hollywood right. cardboard cutout. And like later in life, he's in like things like this or Tough Guys or you know like that kind of stuff. Um, he,
1: because he doesn't have to be that strong jawed leading man anymore. Like he can be a character and act. And not have to be, you know.
0: Yeah, but he's absolutely brilliant in this. Yeah, he's really fantastic. It actually kind he's of reminds so good. me of...
1: Um, reminds me of... Shit. Sam... What is that guy's name? I don't know. I, I can't even think of the movie. I'll I'll try and think of it, and we'll talk about it off air. But it, it it's yeah. really like the, I think like the blueprint for a lot of other character driven performances, especially in the '90s of like those like older men, almost you know like like um what's his name Ed, or uh Slums some, some of Beverly Hills, uh huh like a guy like that like right. this uh
2: huh
1: like aging you know yeah yeah. Mm-hmm guy that always thought that maybe he was a little better than what he was um
0: yeah yeah alan ark's been playing that role for 20 25 years yeah yeah <laughs> right yeah so um this movie had a 100 percent from critics so i, I delved into the 77 percent um you know which um besides altered states uh i don't know that's not that's not true okay um But it's pretty low. It's a pretty big difference, 23 points. So I I started really like going into the audience um, reviews on this, and I did not find the same uh, thing that I found with Breaker Morant. Um, There's a lot of dumb people who review this movie. But I tried to pick one that I thought was kind of representative of like the confusion or like distaste for this movie. And um, it's from Ben L. And Ben L. on Rotten Tomatoes says, This is one of those movies that I'm so indifferent on. I just can't bring myself to even write a full review. And then he proceeds to write a full review. Um, He says, it's not that it was bad. There were a few moments that were entertaining and I was just, but it was just overall so dull that I couldn't muster any passion one way or another. So I can't really trash it as a bad film, but I can't praise it as a good one either. The idea that this old man has delusions of grandeur is just not all that interesting. The few in Hence, moments feel really cheesy when people over-dramatically grab at a fresh bullet wound or gently stab someone with a knife. It takes away the adrenaline of those moments and makes them corny. It feels old-fashioned and lacks any excitement. The characters all seem inconsistently written. At one moment, Lou is a tough guy who seems very knowledgeable about the seedy underbelly of Atlantic City. and the next moment, he's a goofy old guy squawking like a little kid who, about how to kill a guy. In the same way, Sally bounces back and forth between attraction and revulsion when it comes to Lou, it's just a muddled mess and the word that continues to come to mind when I think of it is bland. I don't regret watching it but the odds are in a matter of months I will have completely forgotten about it and not even remember what it was about um so how old do you think that person was that wrote that? like what if you want to take a guess like
1: 22
0: 23 Oh you think it's that old okay yeah
1: right. I, th- I think it's I think it's somebody that's um, Taking a film studies courses at college, and somebody yeah. recommended Nicholas Rogue to him, or, or not Nicholas? I'm sorry, um, Louis Mal to him, or uh-huh. I don't know.
0: Yeah, I don't know. yeah, I, 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 yeah, I, I guess like probably like sixteen, seventeen. Like it feels like something up. Uh, I, I feel like I would have had some of those thoughts when I first watched it when I was sure. young. Know, you know, like I said, I, I did not understand can... it.
1: I completely misinterpreted those characters when I saw this movie the first time. Yeah. I, I, I really enjoyed the movie and I thought it was a like a really great film, but I felt very differently about every character in this movie. Yeah. And I felt watching it like subsequently. So.
0: Yeah, I agree. I And I, I, I only wanted to bring that up and read that is to kind of bring out that point, I think. Yeah, It's because what I found is that I found when I was reading these negative reviews, a lot of times it was a lack of understanding of like thinking these characters were dumb, like, you know, and I I saw it a lot as like people watching it that were probably now watching it a lot of these reviews because they're more recent in the history as opposed to farther back. I took it as a lot of young people watching it that might not have the life experience to like really, really fully like understand like the extent of these characters and their misery.
1: Let me tell you what my new response to things like that is. This comes courtesy of Marcus All,
2: hmm.
1: of the Memphis Grizzlies. I think is sure. where he is now. Um, so LeBron James in an interview recently said that the Marcus two Marc thousand fifteen Defensive Player of the Year award belongs to him. Like he should have rightly won it. And Marcus Gasol's response was, "We can have that conversation over a glass of wine." <laughs> so that's a great response. That's my new response to any time that somebody like super pisses me off by saying something <laughs> that I think is absolutely ridiculous. Is we can have that conversation. That's really over good. A glass that's good.
0: Wine. That's not where I thought it was going, but like, yeah, that's um, I like that. Like, right. I, I was I was really s- suspicious when Marcus Saul Made his debut on the podcast, um, yeah. but I'm glad he did. Um, I like that one. <clears throat> growth,
1: it is growth. I Dirty. feel like a better person after thinking about it. Right. <laughs>
0: All right. Um, I just want to make one thing real quick that is related to Louis Mall. Um, if my Dinner with Andre next year at this time is not on the 1981 list. I'm going to boycott the podcast and you are going to do it alone. That that episode. Right. You know, uh, oh, okay. <laughs> no spoilers. Uh-huh. You
1: might want to add that movie to a different list though.
0: If the movie does not get referenced in the 1981 episode wow. in any way.
1: We'll talk about it. But okay. it, it definitely belongs on a different list next year.
0: Okay, I can't remember what we determined the other night. Like,
1: well, it's one that we've talked about several times already tonight. So, what? <laughs> I'm so indifferent to my dinner with Andre. Oh, hmm. it's
0: oh fine. okay, okay, yes. okay. All right, okay. You you got really
1: drunk. So, <sighs> sidebar: you got really drunk one of the last times we were able to go out to the bar. And Mm -hmm. we're talking about that movie because...
0: I just watched it on Criterion.
1: Yeah, it it was when I first subscribed to Criterion channel and you, like, watched it. Yeah. And you were, like, waxing eloquent about this movie and, like, quoting it and stuff. And I was just sitting there thinking, like, what the fuck? So I went home and watched it the next day and I was still, like, I don't get it. Like, it's fine, but whatever. So, and then I humored you because we talked about something... Some some Wallace Shawn like line in the movie, and it's I mean like whatever. It's got really good dialogue. It's two really good performances. Just don't care, don't care. So okay, all
0: right. there you go. All right, we can talk about that at some. Okay, point. all right. Yes, at some point. Talk First about it, talk about of it over guess. a glass. Of, <laughs> talk about it over we'll, a glass of wine. Discuss it over a glass of wine. Right. Yes. Um. Okay. So the number one movie on your list is. Nicholas Rogue's bad timing, a sensual obsession is the. (laughs) Let's we're not using that one. Yes, Um, but it is Nicholas Rogue's bad timing. It is um, starring Art Garfunkel, Teresa Russell, Harvey Keitel, and Denholm Elliott. It has a fifty percent from critics on Rotten Tomatoes and a seventy-five percent from audiences. You want to tell us? a little bit about this movie, why that discrepancy, and why you have this in number one. So,
1: this movie was exceedingly controversial when it was released. Um, very polarizing uh, to the point where it was pulled from theaters by Universal. Is that right?
0: I did not write
1: that down. Uh, oh. Sorry, I'm trying to you. Oh, Rank was the um, releasing. Rank is a British film yeah, studio. Yeah,
0: UK company. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and never released on a uh, home video until Criterion released it in the early 2000s. Um, one of the movies that i had always wanted to see by Rogue, um, and when I'd never... Because I, I love Nicholas Rogue, especially, like, 70s Nicholas Rogue. Right. Um, so super excited when this movie came out. It is... One of the darkest looks at human relationships, and one of the least flattering portrayals of personal satisfaction over the good of someone's fellow man. I guess. Mm -hmm. Um, Kind of a revel. Yeah. Go ahead. ahead. No, go ahead. Revelatory performances by both Garfunkel and uh, Teresa Russell. Um, Yes. Teresa Russell, who would go on to star in Nicholas Roeg's next film. Um, uh, Art Garfunkel, who had been in Catch-22 and Carnal Knowledge up to this point, because uh, obviously was, you know, a pretty famous uh, musician. Um, but completely playing against type, both in terms of, like, the characters he had played before and just in general, like, how you view Art Garfunkel. You know what I mean? Just like... sure. Goofy, frizzy-haired, you know, folk singer, basically. And he plays a psychoanalyst uh, living in Vienna. Uh, The movie, so first of all, the movie's told in a series of unreliable narrator flashbacks, kind of, um, to basically the night that Teresa Russell's character died um, of a drug overdose. Uh, and then what are um, Garfunkel's character's involvement in that overdose was, and you come to find that they had a very destructive, um, I wouldn't even call it codependent, I would call it parasitic relationship, where Garfunkel, who even though he's portrayed as a pretty um, savvy psychoanalyst, like identifies this weakness of addiction in this woman and takes advantage of that to have a sexual relationship with her yes um and you can argue that she's it's like symbiotic in the sense that she's kind of getting what she wants from him but he's definitely taking advantage of somebody that as a doctor he should be helping um which makes him just an absolutely despicable character yeah. um there's also a subplot that involves uh the police kind of following Garfunkel's character around to try and determine whether or not he's culpable in the death of this woman, like whether it was, um, even if it was like manslaughter or like accidental death, like if he had some responsibility. And you come to find out by the end of the movie that he had sex with her while she was unconscious um, instead of, you know, getting her to a hospital, which basically directly led to her death. Um, he is an absolutely unredeemable character in this movie um she's very sad and like I feel really bad for Teresa Russell's character in this movie like really bad like it's very she's really just kind of lost and damaged and really needs help and he does everything he can to not get her that help and instead take advantage of her and it's um pretty stark and pretty brutal and I know that like there was a lot of people that we're very turned off by the fact that there's just nothing good there you know what i mean like it's right. not um cuz it's told because it's told in flashback and, and rogue is very um you know i mean don't look now which is probably probably his masterpiece maybe mm-hmm. better performance but, but, but probably don't look now is, is his best movie Um, is told almost in flash forward because it's a movie about precognition and the future. And it's, you know, like has some occult trappings. And this movie is the opposite. It's about consequence and um, culpability and, uh, you know, responsibility. So I, I, I think like it's like a companion piece to that almost like it's just as powerful and like looking at, you know, your assumptions are continuously undercut by how terrible this man is like over the course of the movie like seeing like subsequently like how truly awful he is and it's really interesting to have a movie where the main character is so much just the antagonist of the movie yeah. with like no redeemable qualities it really was kind of mind-blowing to me when I saw it for the first time Um, definitely led to a decrease in his popularity and even though he Continues to make movies after this, and honestly, one of his best movies, um, which if we ever do, uh, our Hackman list mm-hmm. might show up on that, even though like Hackman's not in it like a huge amount. But, um, Eureka, which came out a few mm-hmm. years ago, um, entries Russell also in that movie, and Rucker Howard maybe is in that movie, I can't mm-hmm. remember, okay. I think it's Rucker Howard, um, but anyway, so. Like here's a guy that was like really like why wide, why wide, widely lauded as being like a visionary and a genius and a brilliant filmmaker and just destroyed his reputation um, in one film, basically. So
0: Okay, so let me I, ask you think, though, why why do you think truly not why do you think that reputation got destroyed by making this movie?
1: I like so we talked about this at the beginning when we were talking about the eighties. I think that this is a very weird I don't know, like branching off point in terms of society and the way that things are viewed in society. And I think that, like, not having a moral center to this movie, like not having, like, you don't get your just desserts, you know what I mean? Like, no matter what, like, this is just, it's not a movie you leave, like, feeling good about yourself, really, or about anybody. And I think that people just really didn't like that. I think people wanted, you know, positivity. Like, that was the whole thing, as you were coming yeah. out of just the dourness of the set. I mean, like, you see that in the 70s in terms of the filmmaking, that Watergate and Vietnam and the gas crisis and lack of confidence in the government. I mean, there's all kinds of things politically in the 70s that just kind of lowered, I think, Universally, like people's, I don't, um, like people want to feel good about stuff, and that's why you get things that are so successful, like Star Wars and ET and Close Encounter. Well, not Close Encounter so much, but like. Shit like fucking
2: Cocoon
1: and Goonies and Back to the Future. I mean the right. Indiana Jones movies, like people want protagonists and they want happy endings and they want resolution. Yeah. And here's a movie that had it come out ten years prior, probably would have been hailed as a masterpiece. Right. But
0: it's just it's it's not made for that time, you know? So I've there's a number of things I had to say about this movie. Um I texted you. I wa- this is one of like the mornings I woke up at like fucking five thirty and like on a Saturday and just started watching this movie and ended up like texting you like at seven o'clock in the morning. They woke me the fuck up. <laughs> and I, just so you understand, like just a little bit behind the curtain here, it's like my 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 text is yo. Bad timing is super uncomfortable. I feel like I lived a bit of this movie, um, right. which is the first twenty minutes or so. Like, um, that I'm talking about when I text that. And then you go on to say the funny thing is, this is really his last great movie. I wonder if he felt like he had nothing left to contribute to the awkward pervert genre. After... (laughs) And then I told you what are his top five, what are the top five awkward pervert movies? And within 15 minutes, Frank's ha- has a list of, that will never do, I don't think. Happiness, Lolita, Centerfold Girls, The Baby, and Dead Ringers, which is brilliant. Um, but so the reason I felt that way is because I think to a certain point that every man can understand Garfunkel's character to a point. Like they've all been in a situation similar to that. Wow. Um, and they've all met some woman that is close to that at some point.
1: Somebody that you recognize. Yes. Philosophically is not capable of being in an adult relationship, but because of your attraction to them yes. or your own loneliness, you take advantage of that situation. Yes
0: not um, to the point
1: that our Garfunkel does.
0: Well, no, 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 no right, right. Absolutely. Although some people do, obviously. Sure, sure,
1: sure.
0: Um and that's the whole damn point of the movie. So I read all these reviews that were contemporaneous. Like right. I read I read every single one of them. And here's what I found, these people that like didn't necessarily like this movie. There's one exception out of this that didn't like this movie and it's the, still the same complaint it's just on the opposite end of this most of the men and i say men because it was men mostly um it was almost exclusively men didn't like this movie because much like the production company it was like this is a sick film by sick people that's the mm-hmm. idea behind this movie and they talk about how grotesque it is to put this character on a screen in front of people. Um, I also found it grotesque. Sure. It is, like it I, I, is I, grotesque. I, yes. Um, Ebert's the one that's different. And what Ebert has to say is very much what you wanted to, so I won't repeat too much of it, but it, he, he, he criticizes first the um, chronology. You know the, the the jumping back and forth kind of thing, and, and his complaint about that is he says it doesn't contain any revelations upon second viewing, um, so it doesn't really add anything like to the film. Um, I think there's a implication there that you would want to watch it a second time, but okay, um, that that might be faulty in some way. But I, I get what he's saying. Is like you know if you watch it again, it doesn't really add much to the movie. Um, So he goes on to say that there is also a mystery, and he puts mystery in quotes in the film, and a police inspector to shadow Garfunkel to try to solve it. The film's most annoying blunder is the way it gradually unveils the solution of the mystery to us. We see one version of Russell's overdose episode, and then another, and then another, each one showing us a little more until we find out in the end that Garfunkel gasp made love to her, or what he should have called an ambulance for her instead. The movie makes this out as near necrophilia. I make it out as the sort of thing that can happen to you if you keep taking your chances in singles bars.
1: Yeah, that's, um, that's rough.
0: Now, if you take away the moralistic aspects of that like statement, because he likes to moralize sometimes, that's a guy who in 1980 is woke enough to like fucking realize what this movie is really about and go, duh. I don't think he's on the opposite end of the spectrum of those other reviewers that I read that are trying to somehow virtue signal their like how gross and sick it is. It's gross and sick to a lot of those guys because they fucking recognize themselves in it. I believe Ebert to some degree because I, I I've learned him well enough to believe that he's always been this way. That like Ebert recognized it for what it was and was so far beyond the point in time. He goes on to say that you know um, it's a exercise in telling a shallow and crude story in a sophisticated and complicated way. Who needs it? Um, I would argue with Ebert is that a lot of people need it in 1980. A hell yeah, of a lot, and they, they never would have admitted it. Well, they wouldn't admit it, in, right? And they and they it probably wouldn't have changed their behavior. But a hell of a lot of people need this movie, I would argue.
1: Another interesting thing too, and I know that this isn't on purpose because how could he have known? But like, you look at somebody that's so emblematic of like the '60s and '70s and Art Garfunkel, you know, like, yeah, this guy that's half of a songwriting duo that's responsible like some of the more like well known songs from that time period outside of the Beatles and the Rolling Stones. Um that transitioning into like the excess of the eighties, like this is like the darker side of like all those things that you thought, you know. I don't know how what what I'm trying to say there really, but I, I think it's just, I, I think it's funny that it's Art carfunkel of all people that's playing that character.
0: Yeah. No, I, I yeah. I haven't really thought about that like too much about like the idea that Art Arfunkel is playing that character like um because he's not the he's not the guy you suspect you know like um to play that character in to, to some degree um i i I asked you this I think we were probably later that night on like zoom or something like that but I asked you is like is this the first me too movie? like because Uh, that's what that
1: you asked me that and I couldn't come up with a good answer like I thought about it for a long time I mean I know there has to be other stuff that comes before that like there's something
0: yeah now you mentioned a number of movies to me when I asked you that like in terms of subplots and stuff like that right like but I was like this whole movie is designed um with that in mind Like, that's what this movie is about. Um, And like, it seems like some critics like, don't want to admit that like, whatsoever. Um, Is like, that's what this is about. But it's like the uh, oh, damn it. Who is the black woman artist um, at the end? Nina Simone, isn't it? That's uh, mm, yeah. same old story. Yep. you you do not end that damn movie with that song, same old story. If that's not the intent of this movie is just sit there and say like yes, this is this is exactly what a male can turn into. This is what happens. And the idea that critics like will actually like sit there and say that's not the case. Like you know that that's not what this movie is about. It's just this like sick imagination. <laughs> and try to pass it off as something that's not real that doesn't exist is um even more apparent probably than this movie is right um right. and like this movie is extremely important like it's not a fun movie <laughs> it's not a comfortable movie like whatsoever, but this movie is extremely important, and the fact that it has fifty percent, I get that it's controversial, but I think it's controversial for probably all the wrong reasons. Um, And I would Much like some other movies That I never want to watch again in my life Which you're going to force me to do here In the next mm. week or so Um, Yeah I think I would urge everybody To watch this movie at least once And just deal with it Like just deal with the story And deal with like having to like Feel what you feel watching this Because I think it's that important
1: I agree with that I mean yeah. I've definitely watched it Several times i don't know on purpose I guess. <laughs> right
0: yeah this yeah i think i've matured a little bit in age like a little bit to where it's like it's not as hard for me to rewatch things like that i said at one point that i would never watch again because i said that about henry and like it disturbed me just as much um i don't know if it disturbed me anymore um henry portrait of serial killer but i always said i would never watch that again because of how gross it made me feel but it still made me feel really gross um but yeah, I could probably watch this again if I had to, but I wouldn't watch it probably any more than one more time in my life. Um if I and and I honestly I probably won't. <laughs> like it, it it burned that kind of it burned itself into me in that way. Like when I watched it. Like
1: Nicholas Rogue is um he's a pretty tough guy to watch, to be honest with you. Like his movies are not they're definitely They're aggressive in how they make you view them, I guess. Like they don't give you any easy outs. Like his best movies. Right. Shit, right. I would argue that even Witches, like for being um a kid's movie is still pretty Sure. Sure. Pretty mature. Yeah. I love that movie. So. I
0: agree. Okay, I'm so done. Anyway. I'm done my diatribe now. Yeah, like, but it, it 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 was really frustrating to read those reviews. Um and and see what I think is film critics of the time either wanting to personally ignore like their own complic- complicity and certain types of behavior or actions, or try to hide probably what was obviously going on in the film industry. At that point and for decades huh. later um, in order to, you know, you know, whatever, like keep their fucking jobs and all those kind of things. I mean, like.
1: I mean, Teresa Russell married you after this, so. yeah, He right. didn't like think that badly of it. Right,
0: right. Because she's the sympathetic character, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. Sure. And let me just say, she's fucking amazing in this movie. Yeah, she's really good. Amazing. Yeah. So,
1: it's an amazing performance. Yeah,
0: I've never... And this was her first, right? No, uh, she had been active for a little bit. Was this her first leading role or something like that? Um, maybe. I think that's what it was. I think I, think I, I, think I read some like, Criterion notes that said that was her first leading or something like that.
1: That might be true. She was in a movie called, like, Tycoon or The Air or something. I don't know, whatever. In, like, the mid-70s,
0: mm-hmm.
1: 76 or something. And then...
0: Tycoon in 76 sounds really familiar to me, yeah.
1: Is it something like that? It's, it's like an old in letter in
0: bald memory.
1: there in a couple movies between, um, let me look it up.
0: The Last Tycoon. Yeah, sorry. But yeah, right. Yeah, this was. Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah there's been a the, time. You know, like a yeah. And she wasn't,
1: yeah. Oh, it's Dustin Hoffman movie.
0: Yeah, it's based off of the um, Fitzgerald novel, yeah.
1: New noir crime film.
0: Oh, hold on. What movie are you talking about now? I'm still looking at Last Side. Straight,
1: straight Time? Straight Time. Oh, Straight Time?
0: Do I know that? Uh, I do not know this. Gary Busey. Young Gary, Gary Busey. Gary Stanton, it. Dean Emmett Walsh. Kathy Damn. Bates. Pretty good what cast. The fuck. Yeah, I kind of want to watch this movie now. I know, right? Where's this thing at? Um...
1: Based on the novel, No Beast So Fierce.
0: Good title. It is. Uh, it's two dollars on uh, Amazon right now. That's probably worth
1: it. Yeah, eighty-six percent on Rotten Tomatoes. So. Okay. There you go. There's bonus film recommendations.
0: <laughs> Reese right. <and> Russell. <laughs> right. Um, okay. So yes, I I enjoyed all these movies on this list. Um, this you week, do. like I I. Um, and I enjoy just non-spoiler. I have enjoyed. I I, there's one movie I haven't watched yet because you have it on Criterion. It's not available anywhere, and I need to get it from you next week and watch it. But um, uh, oh right, right. But I it's not Criterion.
1: It's um some jank
0: ass DVD company. But yeah. Oh okay. I figured it was Criterion just because of who it was. But um. assumptions i guess um but yeah so i haven't watched that one yet but i've enjoyed every movie um on the 90s list yeah. You know? like i mean
1: they're, they're they were difficult lists to make because there was a lot of movies from each of those years that um i thought were yeah. worthwhile so. yeah um, but yeah i think the 90s list is pretty good
0: too i'm looking forward to talking about those movies yeah and I, i've only got a couple into the 2000s list but i'm i'm so far so good and I'm looking forward to that and I've seen two of them that I have left I, there's only one that I haven't seen that I have left but um yeah so I think we have a lot of good movies to talk about for the rest of the year um, and Frank and I like made our uh, kind of like preliminary list for the um, 2021 schedule on Friday night and have I think a pretty good variety of episodes um, overall yeah i um, started making some of his lists Those. nice yeah yeah he made some that night and like sent them to me yeah um so yeah so i i think we're um and we're quickly approaching episode 100 um in february and we will be entering into the third year of the podcast now um starting in january um technically it's our fourth year but i don't count the end of 2018 or whatever it was um although we did like 17 episodes or something like in that time period but um but yeah so no that's that feels crazy too all right so um i can't think of anything else to plug so thank you for listening quick cage thank this you. week i think it's probably another positive cage review am i correct?
1: Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I don't know. I haven't decided if that's what I'm going with. But if it is, then yes.
0: Right. Um, so maybe a positive cage review this week on the Quick Cage. Um, but yes, please make sure to listen to Quick Quick Cage episode forty three coming up on Wednesday night. Um, and everybody, thank you for listening. I hope you had a good Thanksgiving and yep. have a great night. Happy you see.